0: There's a line about Israel you'll hear politicians and activists, even journalists, say over and over again. Israel is the only democracy
1: in the Middle East. Israel's diverse population, Israel's democracy and freedoms, and Israel's struggle for peace in the most difficult... Just think of all the
0: benefits that Israel brings to the region in which it lives. It's an example of pluralism and
1: free speech.
0: And the hallmark of Israeli democracy is the courts. Israel loves to talk about how even Arabs are on its Supreme Court. But for months now, Israelis have been engaged in mass marches, strikes, and even boycotts to stop an attack on the nation's judicial system from its own legislature. These protests have been some of the biggest and most intense in Israel's history. They've made global headlines, with hundreds of thousands of fired-up Israeli citizens fighting to save their democracy.
1: We will continue to fight until this madness is stopped and order is returned to our country.
0: But for millions of Palestinians, the Israeli Supreme Court is just another instrument of their subjugation. Which begs the question, does Israel even have a democracy to save? I'm Alana Levinson, and welcome to Unsettled. the reforms being pushed by Netanyahu's right-wing government might seem wonky and procedural. They would turn the Israeli Supreme Court into political appointees, not so different from what we have here in the United States. New for Israel, though. More troubling, though, they would make it so that the Knesset or the Israeli parliament can override any ruling of the Supreme Court with a simple majority vote. These measures are meant to curtail the Supreme Court's ability to check the power of the Knesset, which Netanyahu and his allies control. They see the Supreme Court as an unelected, elitist body that doesn't represent the Israeli people. Whereas many Israelis believe that the court is crucial to the balance of power and what they understand as Israeli democracy. To better understand this conflict, who's on what side and who's being left out of the conversation, we invited Amjad Iraqi back to Unsettled. Amjad is a senior editor at the magazine 972 and a Palestinian citizen of Israel. I talked to him on Tuesday, March 28th, the morning after Netanyahu had announced a deal that most of the world's press was calling a compromise, or even a victory for the protesters. But we'll get back to that later. Here's Amjad. Okay, so starting off simple, what's going on in Israel-Palestine right now?
1: That is a very good question. Uh, So things are really, uh, things in the past few days have really taken quite a fast turn. The big kind of culmination of everything is that last night, after several days of particularly heightened demonstrations, uh, political drama and expedited pressure, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, said that he would, uh, officially halt, uh, the current push towards a, uh, what is regarded as regards like a judicial overhaul and what many critics are calling a judicial coup. Uh, but this has really been so far the first time you've had this kind of freezing after nearly three months a very intensive anti-government movement that started off with protests on the street and really transformed into this mass campaign of civil disobedience affecting all aspects of the Israeli economy, Israeli public spaces, uh, even international actors, businesses, the Israeli military. It was an incredibly expansive movement and all now leading to this moment of this pause. So we're in a very interesting raw moment and this all just happened just last night.
0: This is this is a protest movement led by Israeli Jews. Do I have that right?
1: You are right that this is overwhelmingly and predominantly a Jewish Israeli Zionist movement. What's really happening here at its very core is actually a fight between two different ideas and visions of what Israel is supposed to be. So the two kind of core camps, broadly speaking, is a more kind of secular liberal Zionist type of Israel and on the other is a religious illiberal one. Another religious illiberal Zionism is represented by this government made up of very far-right uh, religious, national religious uh, parties, which are really trying to go full steam ahead to remake the state in their image really consolidate executive and legislative power, ensuring that there's no dissent whatsoever, enshrining further religious um, kind of thinking into its institutions, into its laws, into the public spaces. And most critically, and this is really what's often missed by the anti-government movement, is actually the depths to which this religious liberal far-right is trying to completely assert its supreme control over Palestinians on both sides of the Green Line, both in the occupied uh, West Bank and Gaza and against Palestinian citizens of Israel. Now, for the secular liberal ones, a vast majority of this movement are like Ashkenazi, secular, usually quite well off. They have a vested interest in maintaining the old ways because they're seeing that being threatened. They're seeing a different kind of Israel that doesn't share in its secular ideology, that actually wants to be more explicit about its illiberalness, that wants to bring Zionism's you know, darkest face really to its fore, that wants to make Palestinians central to Israeli identity in the sense that this is your constant enemy. Don't go back to this bubble that makes you think that you can get away pretending that they're not there. Why this is also quite a very predominantly Jewish Israeli conversation is that oddly enough, both the government camp and the anti-government camp are kind of fighting battles that are based on myths. The far right is saying that the Supreme Court actually blocks the will of the people, that the judiciary has always never allowed the government to pursue all its goals for the Israeli public, for Zionism, and seeing it as this bastion of actually a leftist kind of thinking. And the anti-government protesters are saying that actually the Supreme Court is that bastion of democracy. It is defending our liberal rights, our civil rights, and ensuring even like protection of minority rights, et cetera, et cetera. Both of these are false. And for the anti-government camp, which is primarily Jewish Israelis, they are caught in this myth that the court is always defending liberal democratic values. But it's only Palestinians who really know that that is certainly not the case. They know it because you don't have to be a political scientist to know that you, the court uh, says that you can't marry certain kinds of people because you're a Palestinian. You know that the court said that you can be rejected from housing communities because you're Arab. They know that the court said, okay, to the Jewish nation state law that... Jews have an exclusive right uh, to self-determination in the state. um, And that Arabic is like a second-class language. Like laws are enshrining different kinds of privileges and supremacy the court actually sides with. Just because the far right is trying to um, make these institutions worse does not mean that the previous uh, conditions were in any way better. So we're not, so Palestinians especially are not interested in just going back to the status quo ante.
0: Is there a place for Palestinian citizens of Israel in this fight? You know, have Palestinians taken part at all?
1: There have been some attempts by some groups, but they very quickly find uh, a lot of roadblocks. Um, so, I mean, speaking more broadly, there has been, like, since the beginning of these government protests in uh, in early January, there has always been a sort of like anti-occupation block, they, they call themselves. And it encompasses many things, including messages of of equality and including for Palestinian citizens and also talking about the occupation itself. And it's also made up of everyone from like anti-Zionist uh, Jewish Israelis to more liberal Zionist Israelis who do prioritize the occupation. And Palestinian citizens are also trying to be involved in this, but I think for the most part, and especially for Palestinian citizens, as opposed to Jewish Israelis in this anti-occupation bloc, they could see very quickly that the dominance of this fight still is trying to exclude them, is not really interested in their voices uh, to take it seriously. And so, yeah, it, it was this real conflict. And, you know, it's not that Palestinian citizens want to be passive in this. Like, they know this is an important moment, but they're not sure how do you how do you respond to this moment when most people don't want to hear from you no one's taking your uh, understandings of the state and society seriously the fact that most of these protests are waving the israeli flag like just masses and massive israeli flags and for a lot of these israelis this is a symbol of pride for palestinians it's a symbol of supremacy it's a symbol of domination a symbol of the conquering of palestinian lands and we're being told that this is actually the, sim, the real symbol of the democracy protest. For Palestinians, it's not. Um, it's not just for the sake of just like, okay, it's not just what, what flag do I fly under, but what does it represent? And again, what, does it rep- what is the dissonance that exists in the Jewish-Israeli's minds of what that symbol means? And do they not see how, even if you usurp the far-right government, even if you block the more religious, illiberal side of the state, your secular liberal Zionism is also part of the problem. And the Supreme Court that you're so righteously defending, is approving all of this.
0: Is that lost on Israeli liberal Zionists, the people who are leading these these protest movements? I mean, are these inconsistencies lost on them, do you think?
1: It's a consequence of privilege that you're not aware of, or that you're kind of trapped in these blind spots of why you have your privilege in the first place. Um, And that's always been the case for Israelis from the get-go. You know, when Israelis talk about being a democracy since 1948, you know, they forget even little basic things that Palestinian citizens inside the country were under military rule, a very tyrannical military rule for the first 20 years of the state. Or the fact that, you know, like, like Mizrahi Jews, like Jews from Middle Eastern countries were basically brought into forms of concentration camps inside Israel, uh, and have been second class in many respects. Uh, the democracy that, you know, treats African refugees and asylum seekers as, as insects and wanted to kick them out and and that we're still a democracy when half of the population under the state that controls everything between the River Sea, that they don't have the right to vote. Like you just conveniently pretend that that doesn't count in your state and in your democratic thinking. Like it's such an obscene blind spot to the way Jewish really think about themselves and their political system. That, yeah, and it's manifested precisely in these uh, in these protests, in their complete misunderstanding of what the Supreme Court does, and it's being kind of also promoted by you know international actors and other supporters who are keep buying into this myth that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East, that Israel is a thriving liberal space, and that Jewish Israelis know what it's like to be you know they have a democratic instinct, and unfortunately, the, everyone abroad is really just buying into that. Uh, you see this from the White House all the way down to American Jewish establishment organizations, uh, you know, to businesses, etc. that see Israel as a place of investment. All that is being broken. And then, ironically enough, it's being shattered in a really powerful way by this far right government, which is showing the depths to which like, A, we we don't buy this argument and let's show you the true face of the state. And also by the anti-government movement, which is now suddenly adopting all sorts of tactics and rhetoric which palestinians have been pushing for for ages and now all those contradictions are really coming out in flux
0: and of course as you write about we can see this very clearly in the ways that israeli liberal zionists have adopted tactics of boycotts divestment and sanctions can you talk about that and and do you think The international community will no longer be a part of selling that idea that boycotts, divestments and sanctions are anti-Semitism when we are seeing Israeli Jews use those same tactics.
1: Today I'm feeling, I mean, for quite a while I've still been pessimistic about this, like I'm quite sure, quite sadly sure, that the world will kind of go back to its old ways and this is exactly the point, also of the move, the anti-government movement. Just like let's just go back to things the way they were, and it's convenient to do so. Um, yeah, and so even things like like the fact that this anti-government movement has really relied on boycotts divestment and sanctions even if they don't name it but the fact that this has actually been central to the movement that they're telling companies yes pull out create an economic cost to the government the fact that you have a mass movement of army refusals like reserve soldiers saying we're pulling out from the air force to intelligence units to the combat troops like you have american jewish groups when uh, Smotrich, the Israeli finance minister, went to, the, went to Washington a couple weeks ago, they were actually asking the White House to revoke his visa. That's a form of sanctions. He even had Israeli writers and thinkers write a letter to like their British prime minister when uh, Netanyahu went there, uh, not maybe last week, I think, like to saying like, actually, you should not allow Netanyahu into your country. Shun the meeting, don't meet with them at all. These are all forms of BDS. These are all things that Palestinians have been demanding. These are all civil rights and acts of civil disobedience, which every person should be allowed to have. But somehow, when Palestinians are demanding this, even for basic things, like sanction this general who approved a war crime, or sanction this uh, Israeli official who approved home demolitions, which is also a war crime, when Palestinians say it, it is counterproductive. It is harmful to us as well as to Israelis. It is anti-Semitism. In the United States, it is your civil right to practice boycotts in anything and everything except when it comes to Israel, and especially when it's promoted by Palestinians. There's an anti-boycott law in Israel and there are anti-boycott laws in the United States. And almost guaranteed none of those will be used against any Jewish Israeli or any Jewish organization or what have you that have basically been practicing these actions against the Israeli government now. The racism of who's allowed to have that right and what exactly are you allowed to fight for is so evident and how much in these past three months has been has shown this. And so Palestinians are watching this being like, oh, so you don't actually have a problem with the right to boycott. You don't have a problem with actually punishing the government when you see fit. You have a problem when Palestinians are the ones who are actually saying you need to do this because there's a system in place that is based on racial, disc- racial supremacy and, and permanent occupation. But if I, men- if I say that, if I say that's the reason why you should boycott, divest or sanction, then we have a problem. If you can legitimize these actions for this moment, legitimize them for everything else. Like, if there's anything to be taken from all this, it's that, that you do believe that Israel can be held accountable, that you can actually put uh, consequences on its actions, but are you doing it in order for to preserve the apartheid regime just in democratic clothing, or are you willing to do it to actually get rid of apartheid?
0: On Monday, March 27th, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu agreed to delay the judicial overhaul until the start of the next legislative session. So... Only about a month. But to do so, he had to pacify the most extreme element of his own coalition. Itamar Ben-Gvir of the Jewish Power Party threatened to leave the coalition and bring down Netanyahu's government if the Prime Minister failed to go through with the overhaul. So in order to hold on to power, Netanyahu promised to form a National Guard under Ben-Gvir's command, to be utilized in so-called emergency scenarios. Critics refer to it as Ben-Gvir's private militia and fear that it will be used to promote his far-right agenda
1: the fact that this idea of creating a new security institution as if the Israeli state needed it, but the very fact that it's the far right saying like, I want, like I want my own kind of militia, which is actually, which is also not itself new. And it's in the sense that it's kind of building on things that have been percolating for quite a number of years of these alliances between like Jewish vigilantes and not just settlers in the West Bank, but also inside Israel that already coordinate with the police or coordinate with soldiers. And they do it sort of unofficially, uh but now it's like let's institutionalize this. I want to make this National Guard open uh to any Israeli who wants to get involved. And we already saw a version of this, for example, two years ago in May 2021, where you know you had a war in Gaza, massive suppression, and a huge uprising. But a big part of this as as well were these kind of uh, big protests uh, and suppressions that were happening in what we call so-called mixed cities inside Israel. So places like Lid and uh, Ramli and Haifa and Akka uh, where you have like a, a, like a reasonable mix of like a, a Jewish and Arab citizens. And here in a lot of Arab neighborhoods and Arab homes, you saw these kind of vigilante groups including settlers coming in from the West Bank allying with police, allying with soldiers to go and attack Arab neighborhoods and to go and attack Arabs and uh, trying to assert their Jewish presence. So, and Ben Gvir was a huge um, kind of instigator of a lot of this and really promoting this idea. is like, we need this kind of civil guard that uh, that tackles these uh, these enemies from within. The, the far right and people like Ben Gvir, who's very ideological, very extreme, but he still has his priorities straight, is like, okay, I can take the pause in the judicial overhaul, which I still want as a priority, as long as I have the executive force to carry out what I need to against Palestinians This is this is the ultimate Priority. Israelis are not grasping This and a lot, unfortunately a lot of people Abroad are also missing this They think this is really genuine about the character Of the state. No, no, no. It's about how fast And how violently Are you willing to Contain or erase The quote unquote Palestinian problem And Palestinian citizens are asking like Okay, so you fought so hard for this uh, Judicial overhaul. Are you going to fight Just as viciously for this National Guard that's about to be put under this far-right national security minister, which we know is gonna be targeted against Palestinians. Are you gonna fight as viciously? And do you see the connection between these things? And why the far-right is pushing on all these fronts? And so, it was, again, it's only happened last night, so we have yet to see what the uh, momentum is for the protests, but it's, again, it's one of those things whereby, like, okay, if, like, Palestinians are kind of throwing the ball back into Israeli's courts, being like, what are you really fighting for here? Are you really fighting for a state where race and ethnicity is your primary determinant of your rights? And if that's the case, say it out loud. Because then we know that you're really fully and unapologetically for an apartheid regime. Don't pretend that you're doing this for democracy. Don't pretend you're doing this just to fight occupation only to enshrine a system that's interested in our second-class citizenship, that's interested in our permanent exile as refugees that's interested in subjugating us to an Israeli military that gets to decide when our homes get to be invaded or not. There's no longer this third space in between what Palestinians think and the right-wing government and that there's this liberal Zionism in between. No, your liberal Zionism inherently aids this far-right impunity. It inherently aids the system and regime. You have to pick a side.
0: In this episode, you heard Amjad mention the Israeli nation state law and the 2021 violence in between Palestinians and Jews in Israel's so-called mixed cities. We've spoken to Amjad on Unsettled about these very topics, so you can find links to those episodes in the show notes. For more context on Itamar Ben-Gvir and his right-wing agenda, check out our 2021 episode about Mayer Kahana. Ben-Gvir openly identifies as a follower of Kahana. You can find all these episodes and more by searching through our feed, or at UnsettledPod.com. Unsettled is produced by me, Alana Levinson, Emily Bell, Max Friedman, and Asaf Calderon. Original music by Nat Rosenzweig. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions.